0: Genesis one, twenty six. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heaven and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground." But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. All right, our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 44, halfway through it. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, Bec. Uh Let's take a moment uh, to pray as we come to God's word together. Heavenly Father, thanks for your word to us that speaks life and truth and uh, new life to us. Uh, give us open hearts and open minds to listen well to you. Uh, that we might grow more like Jesus as we listen and reflect and put into practice what we hear. In his name, amen. Well, as Rosie uh, shared, we're starting a new series tonight. Uh, It's a topical series. It's called God Is, We Are. And the the basic idea of this series is that who we are, who, who you are, who I am, is fundamentally determined by who God is. Who God is shapes who we are. And just at the outset, let me say, I realise that uh, talking about identity can be a fraught topic. It's a a contested and political space at the moment. Uh, For many, uh, particularly I think for teenagers and for young people, but for lots of us, our identity is a very individual, a very personal thing. It it kind of emerges from within ourselves, uh, often in a way that doesn't, conform with with some of the traditional expectations perhaps of our parents or families or community uh, or society. Uh, We celebrate and we hear and we tell stories of people finding and expressing themselves in novel and new ways that that break old boundaries, that challenge traditional norms. Our philosopher Andrew Andrew Potter says many of us subscribe to the idea that the self is an act of artistic creation. So we're like artists with a blank canvas, experimenting and creating an identity for ourselves that's new and and fresh, that's authentic and and true to who we are, which is is liberating, and for many, liberating to the point of being overwhelming. Overwhelming. the the tyranny of the blank page, as we open up ever more options for our identity, ever more choice, we actually can feed the very problem that we're trying to solve. Because this, this constant array of different options, so many choices, can feed dissatisfaction with who we are. As soon as I settle on one identity, I start questioning it. Maybe the grass is greener on the, on the other side. Perhaps there's something better out there. And so we prime ourselves to this kind of choice paralysis, this dissatisfaction in who we are. I wonder if you, you feel this, the kind of gnawing disappointment or dissatisfaction that you haven't truly discovered and expressed who you are yet. But this is quite a different situation from how our grandparents might have understood themselves, and and perhaps for many of us who've grown up in more traditional cultures today. In more traditional cultures, the important things about you are typically more relational, which family you belong to, your your cultural background or ethnicity, maybe your occupation or your social status or your religion. These more external markers uh, bring assumptions as well, and they give you perhaps a more stable sense of who you are. It's, it's tied into your community. But it can also be stifling. right? Some people can find them restrictive or even oppressive. And it can actually, uh, these more traditional markers, can lead us to want to maintain an image on the outside but perhaps have rebellious hearts underneath. Sometimes even going to church can be like this for us. We're members of St Jude's in Parkville. We serve each Sunday. That's part of who we are. We need to keep up appearances. We need to make sure we're doing what the Bible says. We want to look like a good churchgoer, but underneath our, our hearts could be far away. Focusing on externals can tend to breed hypocrisy. So identity is a, a fraught issue. It's It's complex. Do we opt for that blank canvas of of looking within, expressing my personal identity from within? Or do we hold on to these social markers of identity like family and culture and religion, which can lead to to a lack of authenticity or hypocrisy? And through this series, we're going to see a different source for identity, a different way to answer the question, who am I at that fundamental level? that gives space for our individuality, but it's not a complete blank canvas. And it gives us a community with some stable anchors without being stifling. Instead of grounding our identity in who I feel myself to be or what my family and society says about me, the Bible has a gift for us. The scriptures offer us an identity that has deep roots in God himself. God gives us this gift. It's almost like he shares his identity with us. And this is true in the, in the first instance for all humans. Right? Whether you're a believer in God or not, wherever you're at with God, he shares his identity with you. He creates all humanity, male and female, young and old, all people in his image. We bear the image of God. And so each week in this series, we're going to focus in on one aspect of of who God is and what that means for our identity. Next week, we're thinking about God as father and us as adopted children. We're going to be thinking about God as the Holy One and us being made holy. God as Redeemer and us being rescued. Uh, God as love and us as beloved. Today, though, tonight, we're focusing on God as Lord. Throughout so the Bible, God is the undisputed creator of all. Right? And so he's the rightful king over all that he exists. God is the Lord, capital L. Right? He's the, the big Lord. So if God is Lord, then, then who are we? What does that mean for our identity? Uh, one answer that some ancient cultures gave is that we're servants, right? The, the gods are in charge, they're the bosses, obviously. And so we we must be the slaves. We're the servants. We're just here to do their will and do their work. But that's not at heart what the Bible says. God doesn't create humans because he needs more staff, right? Because his inbox is is mounting up and he, you know, needs some help getting through all the work that he's created for himself. He, He does give us work but we're not fundamentally slaves. That's not the picture you get in Genesis 1 and 2. So if God is the Lord, then who are we? Because clearly we're not the Lord. We're not the kings and queens of the universe. We're not even the rulers of our own destiny. Where are you going to be in 12 months' time? What are you going to be doing? We've got some ideas, but we can't control that completely. Will you get that job? Will you pass that test? Will you marry? Will you not? So many things are at least partially out of our control because we're not the the king or queen of the universe. And so this means that choosing our own identity, is uh, that kind of blank canvas idea, is a bit of an illusion because we're actually influenced and shaped by so many things around us that we don't have control over. And actually, if God is Lord, we're not simply free to choose our own path. There there is a higher power to whom we're accountable. We're not gods in our own right. So if we're not gods, we're not slaves, well, who are we? Where do we sit? Genesis 1 says we're all images. We're created images. We're images of the true king. We we reflect the true king almost like a mirror, right? Right? We're not the true king ourselves, but nor are we servants. We're kind of like deputies representing the true king. Uh, In in the Lord of the Rings, the the land of Gondor, you might remember, is ruled by a steward called Denethor. He's not the king. He's not descended from the royal line, but he administers the land while that that king is absent. And so in a sense, he, he represents the king, but he's not the true king. Can you see, as images of God, we're a little bit like this. We're like stewards. We're representing the true king. And so we need to know, what is this true king like? What sort of king are we reflecting as images? And Genesis uh, chapter 1 gives us some clues, and I'll read verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So very very clearly in this verse, firstly, God is the creator. He makes everything that exists. He makes matter, he makes light, he makes energy, he makes people. He also makes fish and animals and birds. Just just consider for a moment the biodiversity of the earth. Uh, I don't know how many... Uh, millions of species there are on earth Uh, i've read that we've catalogued over a million of them but estimates are that there there might be eight million different species different types of plants and insects and animals and birds uh, as well as viruses and bacteria we're not even close to fully cataloging god's incredible wonderful beautiful diversity let alone when we start thinking about stars and planets and other galaxies, so many billions more. God is creative beyond our imagination. So part of being in his image is actually having this gift of creativity too. We too are commissioned to to work the earth, to develop it, to farm, to build to create, to develop. And and we do this in our work, don't we? We create and build and and develop in God's world. Uh, And I don't mean just those of us with um, gifts or occupations that we might think of as as creative or artistic, but all of us who who communicate and write, who build and construct, uh, who teach and develop, Right? We're uh, co-creating with God. We're not meant to exploit or destroy or damage, but to co-create with the God who made us to contribute and develop the beautiful diversity of life on this planet. God is the creator of all matter, so we too are creative. But God also creates purpose. Not just our form. He doesn't just create matter. He Creates purpose as well. He creates humanity to rule over all the animals and the fish and the sea, and the fish and the sea and the birds. Because our God doesn't just give us bodies and say, okay, off you go, do what you want. He actually gives us purpose. He gives meaning to our lives. Now, one way to think about this is to think about the, the opposite, right? If you lock God out of the picture, it's much more difficult to find ultimate meaning and purpose. Now, you could live your life as a consumer without God, just pursuing whatever you think will make you happy. But sooner or later, consumption stops fulfilling, pleasure starts waning, and we realise that the, the best things in life can't be bought or sold. Uh, another way is to... To focus on science as the meaning of life. Atheist thinker Sam Harris describes humans as biochemical puppets. He says we're governed by the interaction of atoms and chemicals in our brain, so free will is an illusion. Uh, Harris is essentially saying that we're not in the image of God, we're in the image of science, where uh, we simply reflect the laws of nature. Uh, There's an older view that would say that humans are in the image of a machine. It's not the most flattering uh, vision of humanity. We're not in the image of God. We're just glorified machines. We're essentially a bunch of cogs and springs ready to be put to work. But I think you can see these views give little scope for for personal identity, for, for meaning, for purpose in the world. But God gives us a different picture. We're not the products of blind chance but we're created deliberately for a purpose. This means that, again, we're not the creators of our own destiny. But God gives us a purpose, a a goal. And he gives us the responsibility and agency to pursue it. So can you see we we have an origin, we're created in the image of God, and we have a goal. to to rule under God over the rest of his creation. We kind of live in this this tension between origin and and goal. So God is the creator and he creates us with this purpose. Uh, Thirdly, we see in uh, this account from Genesis that God blesses. This doesn't really fit neatly with my whole God is thing, so roll with it. God is a blesser, maybe. Uh, But we see that God blesses. He deliberately blesses the things that he's made. He blesses humanity in verse 28 to be fruitful, to grow and pursue the mission that he's given us. He also blesses us by blessing the seventh day, by resting on it, making space for rest in his creation. He establishes routines and rhythms. He sets apart time for rest. He knows that we're not like him. We're not... The creator. We're formed out of the dust, like we see in Genesis and picked up in Psalm 103 that we read. We're limited. We run out of energy. We can't just work and work and work. After all, we're not created to be slaves. So he builds rest into his creation. <clears throat> So this means that God's rest isn't just a concession to our frailty, right? We don't just rest because we get tired. You don't have to wait till you're burnt out to rest. We rest because we're not slaves. We rest because God gives generously, and we can take a break without fearing for our lives. Um, This is hard, though. I know that for me, if I'm really busy and have a lot on, uh, it's really difficult to take a break. I'll work on my day off on Friday. I'll work late in the evenings because there are things I just have to do. And it's like I'm afraid that if I don't do them, if I don't keep working, then everything's going to fall apart. Right? But it's a very slippery slope from that mentality to putting myself in God's place, isn't it? Right? Right? thinking that I'm the one that everything depends on and therefore I can't rest and forbid that I take a break. That's not true. I'm not God. I'm not the Lord. He is. I'm only an image of God and even He rested. And so I too can rest. In fact, I should rest. It's a gift of God for us to enjoy. We're not slaves. Finally, then, we get the first hint here also that God is the judge. Because God is the creator, God is the king, he's also the judge. That means he gets to decide what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. Now uh, This seems a little bit odd at first. Where we live in a democracy where we're all equal, so we separate out the government from the courts, right? The, the rulers, the politicians, are not the judges. But in a family, it's a little bit different. In a family, we recognise that parents have far greater wisdom, typically, than their kids, especially when the kids are young. And so they get to make the rules. They get to be the judges. Right? That didn't go down so well at 10am this morning with some of the kids. But... <laughs> but it's the same with God. He's the creator. He gets to make the rules. He, he's, he's kind of on a different level to us. It's not a democracy. He gets to make the rules and he's the judge. And when he looks at all that he has made, what's his judgment? He sees that it is very good. He pronounces his endorsement of all that exists. Fundamentally, this world is good. Created matter is good. Our purpose is good. Who you and I are created to be is good God that the one with all wisdom gets to look at it and he says this is good in fact it's very good and so as God's images we have have moral agency we're moral beings where we're not kind of morally neutral we're meant to discern right from wrong not not kind of decide it for ourselves independently from God but to seek and pursue what God determines as good, to to pursue that in, in everything we do. He gives us this agency to distinguish between right and wrong. I don't need to tell you though that we see so much in our world that God does not describe as very good. We see humanity not contributing and developing God's Good creation, but destroying it and spoiling it. We see humans treating other humans not as images of God, but as slaves, literally. Slavery is not dead, sadly. And on the flip side, we also see people treating other people as as gods, worshipping and and adoring them, celebrities on pedestals. And we see the consequences of that, the, the scrutiny and the pressure that that puts on people. Because fundamentally, we see people alienated from the God who created them. When we're alienated from God, we inevitably live out a, a false identity, a counterfeit, a disappointing fake. In Genesis 3, you might remember the story. We, we see the tragic moment when this begins. The serpent says, eat this fruit and you will be like God. It's the temptation, isn't it? You'll be like God. But hang on a sec, like God? What have we just heard in Genesis 1? We're already like God. We're made in his image. How much more like God do you want to be? But Adam and Eve doubt God's blessing to them. They, they believe the lie that they're not like God enough. And yet, tragically, they eat the fruit and become far less like God than they were. Less good, less trustworthy, more fearful, more ashamed. It's like the mirror has cracked. Broken images. They they no longer reflect an accurate picture of God. They still reflect him in parts. They still bear his image. But the picture is mixed up and confusing. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? We're cut off from the source of our identity And so, of course, we're confused. Uh, I have some friends who've moved to Australia from other countries. You might have had this experience yourself or have friends or know people who who have. Uh, One of the challenges that that migrants to Australia can face is that their home country has left a big impact on them, understandably, made a big impression, but now they're cut off from it often no one in Australia really gets that part of them can feel like you don't fit in well actually we're we're all a bit like that we're created by God he's left this indelible imprint on us and we're meant to reflect him but we've left him we've walked away and now we're we're out of place we've lost something fundamental about who we are And so either we try to fit in with those around us, we we adopt those traditional markers of identity, family, culture, religion, at at the expense sometimes of our individuality. Or maybe we we spread our wings, we try and cast off those ties and create our own identity, often to the detriment of our relationships. If our friends don't meet our needs, we, we might just deem them toxic and cut them off. But if this is us, because our identity is DIY, it feels fragile, feels insecure, always kind of up for grabs and, and never quite settled. And into the midst of this identity confusion, God offers us a better alternative. He offers us a new identity. And it's really actually just a renewed version of our original identity. Because we see Jesus, the perfect image of God. He perfectly reflects God's character and identity. He's God himself, in fact. And instead of using his godness for his own advantage, he lays it down for others. He humbles himself. He dies on the cross for us and he rises renewed, indestructible, as we celebrated last Sunday. And so 1 Corinthians 15 has this amazing line that that Beck read for us. I'll read from verse 47. It says, The first man, so that's Adam, created in the garden, he was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. It's a beautiful destiny, isn't it? Just as we are like Adam, made of dust, and we could say worse than that, frail, confused, unsure of ourselves, Weak, heading towards death. Just as we're like Adam, if we're believers in Jesus, if we give ourselves to him, we will become like him. We will one day bear his image perfectly. God gives us this new identity. Not only are we made in the image of God, we are being renewed to be like Jesus. To bear the true image of God. What a beautiful destiny. This means that we don't have a a fixed and constrictive identity in that traditional sense because actually we're growing more like Jesus day by day and we still have scope and creativity in that that God created us with. Bearing the image of Jesus is going to look different for you to how it looks for me God's created you as a different person. You're going to reflect him and reflect Jesus uh, in different ways to me. And that's awesome. And we have this identity that we're growing into. But can you see, it's also that we're not cast adrift on a sea of endless identity options. Because we're headed towards a goal. We're of heaven. We're growing to be like the heavenly human, like Jesus. We're on this journey with a start and an end. That means we can encourage one another along the way. We can get insight from others. We walk with each other. Most of all, we walk with God. We walk with the one who sees us and knows us. The one who secures Who we are and who renews us day by day. Renews us in the image of his Son. Because as God is, so we are. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you share yourself with us, your very being. Thank you that you create us more than bodies, but with identities. And thank you that you, you ground and guarantee our identity. Not only did you do that in our original creation, but uh, you do that afresh for us in Christ. Thank you for the security of that. Thank you for the hope and the glory of that. Would you help us to grow each day more and more like Christ? Help us to see more of who you are and so more of who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.